Hey, it's Jason Cunningham and welcome back to Save My Business, the podcast dedicated to helping business owners navigate through the proverbial shitstorm. Now, today's guest is a bit of a rock star himself or potentially the man behind the scenes. Good friend of the firm, great client and just all around good guy. And uh, his name is Jadon Comerford and along with his wife, Rachel Tullock, have a music empire known as Unified Music Group. Jadon, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. How are you? I'm really good, pal. Great to have you, mate. Um, one of the things that I well, that attracts me to you in a purely platonic sense, and I know that sort of got you a little bit excited, but one of the things that attracts me to you is the energy that you bring into the room and, more importantly, your humility. And uh, uh, without disrespecting your industry, humility is not high on the radar of the uh, music manager and music promoter. And I guess for mine... You know, we'll talk about some of the clients that you manage and some of the things that you do. And I'm, I'm really keen to reach out to you to find out a bit more about the collaborative work that you guys do. And, and that's one of the things that I love about your industry is collaboration is such an important aspect to it. You can't do it on your own. Uh, the artist can't do it on his or her own. You can't do it on your own. But some of the, when I've been to your office and the way you guys work together, but also the other collaborative projects that you've built along the journey, I find them nothing short of outstanding. But before we get to that, young man, and I know, I know you're coming up to your 20-year anniversary, which is pretty exciting. Tell me this: what went through a young Jaden Comerford's mind to set up this uh, music business? Well, to be honest with you, when I got started, I was only 17, yeah. so I started a record label called Boomtown Records, uh, and I was going into university at Victoria University over in Footscray. Yeah, and I just thought it was a hobby. I didn't think that it was going to be something that would have me sitting here with you, you know, almost 20 years later. But yeah, it happened. And one thing led to another and here I am. So really at the time, it was just something that seemed like a good thing to do. And I guess a, a bunch of uh, naivety kind of played into my favor and I, and I managed to keep, keep the lights on for this long. So that's a pretty cool story. So you started your business at 17 at university yep. and it was called Boomtown Records. Boomtown Records, yeah. Cool name. Um, and so well, whilst, what degree did you do? I did a music industry degree. Uh, st- uh, it was a business degree majoring in music industry. And so it was pretty cool because it allowed me to get a lot of exemptions from certain coursework because I was running a record label. Oh, um, right. But I've, I've often said um, the difference between having a record label and not having a record label is actually just saying you have a record label. <laughs> <laughs> and you could insert any business there. But the reality is one day I just woke up and said, I have a record label. And so I started approaching bands. And because I said I had a record label and I had a logo that had the word records in it, you know, people started giving me their records. Okay, so you're a 17, 18-year-old kid yeah. at university getting exemptions from your course because you've got a record label. Yeah. Who's the first artist that you signed? The first band that I ever signed was a band from uh, the southeastern suburbs called Wishful Thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was in my last year of university that I signed a band called Behind Crimson Eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was around the time, it was like 2006 and emo was really big. Then right. all these big emo bands were coming from America and Behind Grimms and I were kind of the Australian answer to that. And so without really realizing it, I'd sort of signed this band that was on the cusp of becoming quite big, at least quite big in the scope of uh, the record label was run by a 19-year-old kid who was working in his bedroom in his parents' house, you know. <laughs> so literally in March following graduation, the record came out. And yeah, it got into the charts and all this sort of stuff. And next thing I knew, I had enough money 
coming in to be able to sort of not go and get a real job and actually just go, okay, well, this is going to be my job and went from there. I, I find it amazing that, uh, you know, you're signing bands uh, and artists when you're not even old enough to go into the pub to watch them, yeah. <laughs> to watch them play. Okay, so, so you've never really worked for anyone else then, I take it? No, like through university, I had some you know, warehouse jobs and yeah. drove, a, drove a delivery truck for Harry the Hire for a while. Um, yeah, true story. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I've, I've just sort of, I've been an entrepreneur, founder and, and yeah, bootstrapped my entire journey. Tell me, where does that come from? Is that, is it got anything to do with your family of origin? Uh, were your parents business owners or? Yeah. 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 Mum and dad, uh, dad was a plumber. Mm-hmm. And so him and mum owned a, a business, uh, a plumbing business. And that was sort of like how I knew that the family made a living. But then, and I actually quite liked, I, I like telling the story because I have two brothers, uh, one older Dan and one younger Aaron, and we all went to St. Kevin's College. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back then a plumber's wage wasn't going to put three kids through St. Kevin's College. And at the time my dad was doing a job at uh, a kindergarten somewhere in, in Melbourne and he was chatting to the lady at reception and she, I, I don't know what he was telling her, but basically she said, well, if you're looking for business opportunities, my um, my... Uh, husband's about to launch a business you should talk to him and maybe it might be something you're interested in and it was baker's delight oh wow and so i remember this 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 scene it was like they were sitting in the kitchen at home like roger gillespie leslie gillespie mum and dad and we were like who we doing and louie like put it looking around the the corner and a year later my dad's a baker and he's and he's owning baker's delight stores and i just i told this story at his 60th birthday because he did that just so we could go to to the school that he thought we should go to. Yeah. And guess what he did the year after my little brother graduated from that school? Sold the business? Yeah, and became a plumber again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and that's, now he's a plumbing teacher at TAFE. Anyway, that, I just I digress, but... That gave me goosebumps. That's yeah. a really good story. And I, I, Roger and Leslie Gillespie, I know them and I've done some work with them. And, uh, you know, out of all the franchise businesses that I've worked with, it, most of the franchisees love those guys because they are really focused on helping the franchisee um, do really well. Yeah, so yeah. I learned something from that. In I guess So is that Leslie Gillespie, that she was at the kindergarten and yeah. she said, my husband, yeah. are you sh-? I, I hope every bit of that is 100% factual, but that's the story <laughs> that I recall. It's a long time ago. Yeah. But for me, I guess that gave me this sense of, it, there's a bunch of things that I extract from that. If you want to do something, do it. Mm. Look after your family, you know, be, be honest, like work hard, have goals, all that sort of stuff. Like, so I really think I extracted... Uh, though the learnings that I took from watching that as a young person, I think I've really put into my business and my life. It's a couple of good points there. If you want to do something, just go out and do it. Yeah. And the second thing is look after your family. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Start yeah. a record label and look after your family. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Chasing records. <laughs> and all I need is to have a little record on the album cover or exactly. on the, the logo and I'm away. So you, so you jump out, you leave university you sign this cool emo band. They get an, uh, an album that launches in March the following year. And all of a sudden, uh, you're in the industry. You're 20 years old, you're wet behind the ears. And your peers are 25 and 30 years older than you um, with a lot more experience than you and uh, a lot more money than you had. How was that? How did that feel? Yeah, it was definitely a journey. And I think for me, what one of my... Uh, one of the benefits, not only was I young, but I'd also picked out a niche part of the industry. Mm. So my, I grew up, I grew up, and I still listen to punk music and hardcore and metal, and this is mm. kind of what I like. So I'm playing with this music that the big 
companies weren't really that interested in, even to the point where Warner Music at one point spotted what we were doing and they started paying us to help them promote their big bands, like their bands like Green Day and Paramore and Panic at Disco, all these big emo bands coming and yeah. punk bands coming out of America. So we had this really nice little niche that I could kind of grow. Uh, and it really wasn't until quite a few years later when we started working with people like Illy and Vance Joy that people were like, ah, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> it's the guy that wears black T-shirts. And, <laughs> and it's like, he's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and so it, 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 that was probably one of the best things. I, got, I had this really good training ground to kind mm. of to operate in my own place, build my own community, mm. um, work with the people I wanted to work with and spent close to 10 years of the first part of my career in that world. And as you progressed and got more experience and got your chocks up and started to, you know, as you said, sign the Illies of this world and Vance Joys of this world, you know, no doubt your street cred would have elevated. And you've got to mix with Gadinsky and all these sorts of guys. Tell me, tell me what that's like without telling me secrets behind the curtain, so to speak. But tell me what's that like to rub shoulders with those sorts of people and some of the, the people that they represent? Yeah, well, I guess growing up, I was always, I always wanted to be in the music business, like mm. from quite a young age. Uh, are, you a, are you a music, tra- like do you, are you a wannabe rock star yourself? I'll say no. that respectfully because I am. I, I played music at school yeah. and I only just, at the beginning, actually because my birthday is in February, so in February my wife bought me a guitar, but it's the first, so it's the first time since I was at school that I have, I've had a guitar at mm. home. So no, the, the rock star dream left a long time ago. Mm. We had a neighbor, uh, David Hirschfelder. He's a screen composer. Oh, so right. he's, he's made music for some of Australia's most like, mm. biggest films, like Australia. Um, yeah. And he was our next door neighbor. Mm. And so these all these things are serendipitous, right? Mm. So we were living in Eaglemont and mum and dad were doing their thing with the bakeries and, mm. the, and, and, and the initially plumbing. And the next door neighbor was a piano player who made music for films. And same, same family makeup as in the kids and the size of the house. And, mm. and I was like, I was always like, what is this? How does this guy make a living? And then one day we're over there all hanging out, and this other guy turns up, and we're like, who's this guy? It's his manager. Mm. I was like, mm, okay, I'm like 12 years old, just sitting there, probably like eating ice cream, thinking, yeah. oh yeah, I'll put, put that in my little notes. Yeah, as you're drafting up a business plan yeah, at 13. Exactly, career <laughs> opportunity. But so I was always aware of the industry, and then I always, I've always I read a lot about different, more, more books are written on the American and English. In industry people but i've read a lot about the industry so when i finally got to the point where like yeah i met kadinsky for example mm. you know i had lunch with him in turak at a japanese restaurant and i was just like wow mm. like you know i arrived probably an hour early and <laughs> sat in the car you know just like getting myself ready but you know we now have a business together we have, we have a publishing company together which we started eight years ago and mm. have signed a lot of artists together so now it's now it's normal and, and a lot of these people like their friends and, and peers but yeah back in the day oh, i was it was frightening trying yeah. to get to know these people one of the things that I really like about you, Jaden, is that you don't fit the mould, right? And when I first met you, and I, you're a great client of our firm, and, and Davo, one of my partners, looks after you guys, and you told me about your love of heavy metal and, you know, hard rock, and, you know, the first album I ever bought was Kill Em All by Metallica, right? Nice and uh, so I'm a, you know, big Metallica fan and then got into Slayer and Anthrax and all that sort of stuff, and I don't look like a typical heavy metal fan. So you don't look like a headbanger. <laughs> Nor do you look like or behave like the whole music industry. As I said, you're so polite, you are so humble and you're warming and you always uh, give the person in the room your ear, which I think is a great quality. And then, you know, I met um, James, Vance Joy. I, 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 I'm not sure if I'm yeah, allowed to say his name. or is, no, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm I met James sure. and um, you guys are like two peas in a pod. You know, both you're not the shortest blokes I've met. 
Uh, but he is quite a, you know, I, I, I'm big, really big on your family of origin. I think that's got a real big impact to who we become. And, and you know, now my role as a parent, I'm very conscious of the, the lessons that I'm teaching my kids, both directly and indirectly. But the one thing I remember about both yourself and James when you were here with Brad is I walked into the boardroom and you both stood up. You know, and, and, and that old school gentlemanly like behavior, I, I think, I think it can't be lost. And I just, it's just a sign of respect. And so I just wanted to share that with you. And sorry to bore you with that. No, it's awesome. And James is, you know, he's, he's one of the best. And, you know, he's one of Australia's most successful talents that mm. we've ever seen. And he's, you know, he's only partway through his career. But yeah, he's one of the nicest people I've ever worked with. Yeah. And, and it's an absolute pleasure to work with him. Yeah. And he's kicking ass. Yeah. And he's got a magnificent head of hair too. Anyway, that's a real side point. So uh, let's fast forward to where your business is today. And a couple of things that I want to talk about that I, how many team members do you have in your organization now? Uh, there's 55 people at the company. Yeah, 55. Uh, and it started with one 17-year-old kid walking into Footscray Uni. Well, VU yeah. is Footscray, yeah. which is awesome. So you guys are arguably probably the biggest independent music management business in Australia, would you say? We're one of, yeah. Mm. Well, if I say it, it doesn't mean you're lying. <laughs> You've got your own label. You've got a printing, a screen printing business. You're involved with music festivals. You're managing artists. You, you, uh, you've got your uh, 2400, which is your merch yeah, online, online merch, merch store, which yeah. is one of the biggest going around town is what I'm hearing or I'm saying. What are you saying? If I say it, it's true, Janet. Um, so you've got all these uh, pieces of the pie going on. And that intrigues me, and I'll, I'll tell you for why. Um, when you first spoke about the journey of you going into the business, you said, Jay, we, we niched up and we were into the emo sort of space and we we're real niche. And that's what got our foot in the door and we were winning business from Warner and Mushroom and these guys or whoever that was, was referring because we were niche. Fast forward 20 odd years and, and, and I say this respectfully, you don't seem niche. You seem to have fingers in, in, in many pies and I know it's working for you because we're your accountant. What do you think the secret to that success is? Yeah. Well, Rachel coined the term organic evolution. Mm -hmm. So we've never sat down in the boardroom with spreadsheet and go, we really need to get into this industry or we really need to move into this sector. Mm. We've never, that conversation has never happened. And that doesn't mean we don't have a plan. It's more like we'll all of a sudden be wandering along the path and we're like, someone goes, oh, do you guys want to buy a screen printing company? Mm. And we'll be like, well, we have an online store. We have, we manage all these artists. We run all these tours, all these festivals do the maths and go, well, we'll, we can just fill up the pipeline with our own work. So yeah, let's buy it. Yeah. But it's, so I guess the point is everything has evolved organically. Mm -hmm. And so we still are niche in some ways. We're Mm -hmm. still independent. Mm -hmm. We still do a lot of work in that punk emo space. That's still like a really big part of what we do. But ultimately everything has evolved in order to serve the business. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I said, the artist print with, with the printing company. The printing company stocks the online store. The, the merchandise gets sent to the festival. It all just plays off each other. Yeah, it all works together. Yeah. Can you tell me the importance of, um, it, I mean, that makes a lot of sense now that you think about it. You, you're your own supply chain, really, if you think about it. Yeah, right? that's right. And also what it does is, because this is one thing that I'm really big on and people like Brad will tell me that, you know, maybe you could be more firm, but like we never have a hard and fast rule like you have to use all services. Mm. We actually do the opposite. I say to all the heads of all the different services, you need to win the work. Yeah. You know, because if we have to force that business to work with all of them and one of them slips up, it hurts all of us. Doesn't it? Equally, if we 
just print the t-shirts for someone or we just do the, have them on the festival or whatever, it actually opens up our funnel to be so much wider. Mm. So when you actually look at all the businesses and all the clients we work with, mm. it's exponentially bigger than if we tried to serve all of them at once. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What I also enjoy about your business model and I guess your approach as a leader, yours and Rachel's approach as leaders, is the notion of collaboration, you know, and I, the boys, I, I keep thinking of their names, Run to the Hills, that's only because it's an Iron Maiden song <laughs> and again we go back to the... The hills are alive. Yeah, hills are alive, yeah, those boys. Um, and they, they're doing the festivals and that started off and I think on their parents' farm or yeah. something like that. And again, that, that sort of, you know, you, you get the festival going, you get the artist who goes to the it's it all works. Tell me how do you work, being somebody that has, has built a quite a very big and strong and powerful business with a great brand, how do you go letting go when you collaborate with others? Tell me how, how does that work and how do you engage with other people in the other businesses that you have a, yeah, a share in? For sure. Yeah, so we own the core business, but yeah, we have a number of partnerships and mm. the Hills Are Alive uh, relationship. Uh, so it was two brothers, Aiden and Rhett, McLaren. Mm. So their parents are friends with my parents. That's how we met. Oh, wow. We literally met through our parents. And so they were running their events, their events on their family farm. And um, Luke, who has been with the company for 15 years coming up, he said to me, we need to start a, we need to start a festival. I was like, okay, why is that coming back to the organic evolution? So there used to be a festival called Soundwave that brought out a lot of the really big rock metal bands. Mm. And Soundwave was an amazing festival. One thing it didn't really cater for, it didn't book many Australian artists. And as an Australian company, that really put a bean app on it. Yeah. And so I think maybe it was one day after Luke had you know, failed once again to get certain act on the festival, he just stormed into my office and he's like, stuff this, we're starting our own festival. And I was like, all right, well, you should call Aiden. You know, they've got their farm and we'll just like figure it out. And and that was basically how that idea was born and we, we launched the Unify Festival. But I don't know. I think the thing for me is I've always had this theory of if you try to control everything, you're going to run out hours in a day. Mm. Whereas if you can let back, sit back and let things happen, it's like that old saying, I think Reid Hoffman says it, like let fires burn. you got to know the difference between like a, a bit of kindling and like a forest fire yeah. in order to have that approach. Yeah. And it definitely has bit me in, in the butt sometimes. Yeah. But if you let go and let other people try to do things, you're going to get more done and mm. eventually you're going to you're going to win because you're going to build trust, you're going to build relationships and mm. you're going to create more opportunities. Mm. So, yeah, that's definitely how I look at it. I want to go a bit deeper on that if I yeah, can. please. Uh, because uh, a lot of people are listening uh, to this podcast are leaders in businesses yep. and uh, might have business partners or, or, or are running their own show really well but tend to have this this notion of being a, a control freak, if you like. Now, and that may have worked for them to a point in time. I, I want to go a bit deeper in, do you set boundaries? So it, it, let's say we go on the notion that we let fires burn. Yeah. Right? Do you have some rules of engagement or what your expectations are? How do you let someone go and, and start a festival? Hey, ring my mate, the McLaren brothers, right, who've got a farm up north and just, I mean, surely it wasn't just that and then they went and did it. There was... There was a bit more involved in yeah. that. Tell me how that works and how the, the think tank approach works. Yeah. Well, I think how it happened then and how it happens now is probably different. Mm. And I think back then we definitely, we probably even light our own forest fires back then, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> Nowadays, like Unified's pretty structured. You, you've met Matt Rogers, who's mm. our chief operating officer. We've got Amy, who's our head of, uh, of HR, Andrew in finance. We've got 
a really stru- like strong structured team. We have a leadership team that governs the leadership strategy of the group and how we sort of want to work together. One thing we've been doing a lot lately is just trying to move slowly when we're making decisions and making sure we're actually looking at every single part of a situation before we actually make a decision. You know, that's a really important point. Can I just jump across you and just share with you? You can see the delight in my face, you know. It's often said that we spend more time buying a $300 pair of jeans than we do buying a $300,000 house. And the same thing happens in business. Sometimes we screw around with a little decision as to whether we should buy three or four laptops and we jump into bed quickly with a big, broad decision. Yeah. And so you've made that as part of your strategic plan that we're, we're going to take things slowly. Yeah, and I think there's you've you got to think quickly about how you're going to let it onto the agenda. Yeah. Like you, you might say, hey, Jaden, do you want to buy a shoe company? I'll probably say no. Mm. But if you said, do you want to buy a shoe company that they partnered with this music festival, something, mm. not the best example, but, yeah, but I, can, I might say, okay, let's get that on the agenda. We'll yeah. go and we'll workshop it and we'll come back to you. Mm. You need to know when to think quick and, and, and think slow. But that's something that I've found, particularly through COVID, has been really important because mm. it's been, I think especially because we've been not in the same room for most of the time, mm. we've had to like get better at communicating. Yeah. So we've had to like give things the time it needs to do the due process to make those mm. decisions. Mm. I think I might have jumped off your question though about collaboration. Yeah, We kind okay. of got off point there. But I think one thing for me, and this is where COVID's actually worked really well for me, is I love I guess it, I haven't decided whether it's repetition or consistency. I think c- consistency is the more positive sounding word. Mm. I love a weekly meeting. Yeah. I'm all about it. Yeah. I actually love a daily meeting if, it, if the topic is important enough. Yeah. And so consistency. Yeah. It's like going to the gym. It's like mm. going for a run. It's like learning mm. Spanish or, you know, mm. you, you've got to be, if you want to get good at something, you've got to be consistent. Mm. And so if you and I had an idea and we sat down every Tuesday at nine o'clock for the next year and talked about it that idea would be so good at the end of that and so you know i've got weekly meetings that have been going for years and so Mm. for example with the mclaren brothers every thursday we have a one-hour meeting and we talk about our business Mm. and so you build the trust you know you can stay on top of things like Mm. that's one of it's such a simple thing but that is one of my one of my favorite things yeah one of your secrets to your success it's interesting consistency you're right can apply across so many aspects of your life yeah totally Um, whether it is training um, yeah. and, and exercise. And I know you know yourself, when you're on a roll and you're exercising every day or five or six times a week, and then you just drop off one week, it's, it's hard to get back on. Yeah. But it's also, it's not just uh, how you um, collaborate with your business partners, but it's also how you engage with your team members. Yep. You know, and if you are not, you know, and it's also, and I look at it as a parent, if you're inconsistent as a parent, your child is confused irrespective of whether the child's three or 18, it gets confused. And the same thing happens, I've found, with your team members. Yep. That the moment you stop something like that, they're like, well, why aren't you doing this anymore? Yeah. You know? And one of the challenges that may exist in your business, and I'll address the elephant in the room, is that the two owners of the organisation are also married. And that in itself uh, scares the life out of a lot of people. How, how do you navigate through that? Rach and I being married and running a business together. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. It mm. makes for a pretty like full twenty four hour cycle kind of life. Mm. Um, what it also made for when we were out of COVID, you know, because we've spent a lot of time living in the states mm. and traveling. So, like for example, last northern summer, Rach was on the tour in Europe with Vance Joy and Pink 
from the start of June through till the end of September. I was there for the first two weeks, but then after that, I was, you know, this here, there and everywhere. And so we didn't see each other for two and a half months and that was five years into our marriage. So we sort of, I think it works well because we're constantly moving around and doing different things. Mm. We often use the term divide and conquer. But yeah, when we're all in the office, I don't know. I love it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's cool. And COVID's been a great time for us to actually hang out. Like yeah. We've had dinner together every night for the last nine months. Yeah, wow. Like that's more consistency than I've ever had in my life with, with Rach. Yeah. I just um, Your attitude and aptitude is, is outstanding and it's, it's quite infectious. Listening to you talk is quite infectious. And I, I really want to keep down this path, but I've just got to ask you one question. What's pink like? Pink. Yeah. Uh, I didn't spend that much time with her, but yeah. like she's she's awesome. Yeah, she's oh my god! I saw her play two nights at Wembley Stadium mm. in London. Mm. It's like seventy five thousand people a night, one hundred and fifty thousand people. Yeah, just to come to see Pink the yeah. same weekend as Glastonbury too. Yeah, wow. So yeah, from what I from what I got from it, and from what I heard from from James, like Vance yeah. Joy, like yeah, absolute legend. Yeah, I I I. I always wanted to be a rock star as a kid, right? I always, and I guess as a 47-year-old kid, I still want to be a rock star. The challenge is I have absolutely no rhythm and I cannot sing. But just the energy from the stage, I mean, I would love that. That, that would be like heroin times a thousand, not that I have had heroin, but just the energy of 70. Like, I know when I go to the footy, right? I'm an Essendon supporter. I know you're a Collingwood supporter. But Anzac Day. You go to the Anzac Day game of footy and if you, if you do it right and you get up and you catch the train into Flinders Street Station, you go across the road to Y&J's and you smack a couple of pots down and you walk down to the MCG and, the, and you get into the, that cauldron and the energy of 100,000 and pretty much 50,000 both for the Bombers and 50,000 both for the Magpies, that energy, that is electric. Yeah. Right? And so, I, I, you know, when I go to a concert and, you know, I haven't been to too many concerts. I've been to a few Metallica concerts and Iron Maiden, a few of these sorts of things. I went to Jimmy Barnes, I think, and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just the energy. I imagine being up on stage and just sucking that energy. You could just light a thousand light bulbs, I reckon. Oh, it'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, imagine, but imagine doing that every night or like, you know, multiple nights a week. It'd be pretty, pretty exhilarating. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to your leadership style and, I like to coin the phrase the overnight success that took you about 18 years. It was a long night. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but there was a lot of consistency hey, and repetition. Your mindset intrigues me, the way you approach life. So I've had conversations with many a business owner in this room and, and over Zoom about you know, how COVID impacted them, right? And, um, and I've had many a conversation with business owners from my office, talking to people at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night that have been getting smashed with uh, being locked down and all that sort of stuff. And, and I go to you, how's lockdown? You go, lockdown's been great for us. And, and I find that interesting. And I, I want to know, surely, what's your secret that you do there? Do you do a lot of work self-development-wise? Do you do, are you uh, into uh, meditation? How do you remain so level-headed in a crazy world, that, which is the world that you're in? I, yeah, I do, I do do a lot of meditation. Ooh. I do a lot of yoga. Mm. Uh, I do a lot of study in philosophy and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I do spend a lot of time thinking yeah. and thinking about thinking and learning how to think better, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, look, I'm not perfect, obviously, and mm. I have my moments, but mm. I do put a lot of work into trying to be the best I can be. Okay. So on the surface, right, and I'm, I'm not trying to go on the surface, that sounds fantastic, right? Yeah. So here I am talking to a bloke 
who loves meetings, who has meetings upon meetings, who works pretty hard. You've got a team of 55, 60 people around you. You manage uh, a lot of musicians and some of them can be quite demanding. I'm not saying James is like that, but th- th- no doubt there's some egos involved. Uh, no doubt at all. I mean, this is the pot calling the kettle back here. No, you know, they, so there's no doubt there's a bit of ego involved. So you've got to manage that. And I'm typically, I, I know your industry is not a nine to five industry, yet you still manage to find the time to meditate, practice yoga, and, and, and learn how to think better. How do you do that? Do you prioritize your time? Explain to me how you do that. Yeah, it's a huge priority. I get up at 5.30, which isn't that early. I, I want to get up earlier, but at the moment it's 5.30. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd, I'd make time the first sort of 90 minutes of the day of mine as far as just sort of doing work on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that involve? It's a bunch of meditation, breath work, uh, physical yoga, reading, journaling, mm-hmm. and then cooking just to sort of like set the mood for the day with good food and stuff like that. Yeah. That's it's I guess because all that stuff to me it's lifestyle. Mm. Uh, it's not like I've got to do this so I can do that. It's actually just part of life. Yeah. Because for me, like I love business and part of running business is making money. But like for me, because I, I mentioned earlier, I bootstrapped this entire operation, and now as an investor myself, as someone who has angel investments in you know ten plus businesses, mm. I kind of look at it now and go. Why didn't I ever raise money? Why did I do it this way? Yeah. And I, the answer to that question is pretty complex, but the point is I've, I've had a weird relationship with money for a long time because I, I was always chasing what I thought was success. Mm. And when I got to that point where I was like, firstly, I don't need any more money or this chase for money actually isn't getting me more money. Yeah. I was like, well, there's got to be more to this, right? And so for me, running the business and the meetings, we can replace, it's not that I love meetings, I love people. Mm. I love connecting with the people that I work with mm. and having that weekly meeting to be able to check in and catch up. Mm. So for me, the the meditation and the stuff that I do in the morning, is it sets the mood for me to be able to do what I do through the day. And what I do through the day, it's like, it's not really a job. It's actually just what I enjoy doing. Mm. I know that might sound weird and some people will say, oh, how do you do work-life balance? And I, and I don't really like that kind of comment, or that, yeah. that statement. I think that it's it's almost like some people need it, but for what I do, I don't need it yeah. um, because I actually I just don't, I don't want to I don't want to have a rule where I like have to stop at this time or stop yeah. doing this at that time. Like I want to be able to be available. Like one of my staff needed to talk at ten o'clock on Monday night, and it's like let's talk. Yeah, you know? like they needed me, so I was there. So it's a cool attitude. I know. I'm having conversations with my wife at the moment. She's looking to return to the workforce. She's, she's an accountant. We met at university. And um, I sort of told her a few lies, told her my father had money and this, that and the other and sort of convinced her to marry me. Um, and, uh, you know, 28 years later, here we are. And she's, she's um, we're now third son. We have twin boys, uh, Lewis and Jack, who are 18. And our uh, youngest son, Tom, is 13. And so Ange decided to forgive or put her career on hold whilst she focused on um, being a homemaker and she's looking to return back into the, um, into the fold. The problem is she doesn't like accounting uh, and she said, um, and, and that's fair enough because, you know, a lot of people don't like accounting and, the, and she said, Jay, but, you know, I, I'm a bit envious of you because you love your job and, and I guess I, I have a, I'm similar to you in the fact that I try to create or design a job and a, design a career that I enjoy and, and there's parts of my job that I don't enjoy and there's, yeah. I'm sure there's parts of your job that you don't like. Of course. But in the most part, I love it. You know, I get to do stuff like this, you know. Um, and I, I, a lot of people I talk to that 
and Ange and, and, and a girlfriend of hers is th- are thinking about going into business, right? And there's a bit of nervousness around that. And, and some people think that it's a risk to work for yourself. Whereas oh, I see it the other way. Why would I put my career and my financial uh, destiny in the hands of somebody else? Why wouldn't I put it in the hands of myself, you know? But I'm really intrigued to find out a little bit more about, uh, so you're telling me you start the day off that first 90 minutes is for yourself. And then once you've energized, so you've, 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 you've fueled your brain and your soul and, and your belly, obviously, because you like to cook yourself a good meal. And I, and I know that you eat quite healthy. And I, I believe you're a vegan. Is that correct? Vegetarian. Vegetarian. And I, I, I recently had a woman on, on this podcast, a woman by the name of Donna Aston, who's a real cool, successful uh, businesswoman, entrepreneur, uh, great resilience and all this sort of stuff. And I did this 28-day program. And then 28 days... Um, I, you know, I lost 10 kilos, but not only that, my snoring stopped. Uh, my uh, crook guts that I had for 20 years got better. Wow. Uh, my anxiety reduced. And funny, you should say, but the stuff that you put in your mouth goes a long way to telling who you're <laughs> going to become and the mood that you're in. And I, and I, I was talking to another mate of mine who's, a, uh, who's in entertainment and he, he's, he works in films. He's an Australian guy. He was uh, a presenter in Australia. He's just gone overseas and um, he, he, he's working on some uh, films for Apple TV. And just before he left Australia, he saying, Jace, the secret weapon is meditation. He goes, exercise, eat well. But, mate, when do you get to meditation? He goes, trust me, it's, it's the million-dollar thing. And would you sort of tend to agree with that? Or Yeah, I've been meditating for about 10 years. Mm. I learned it from a, a guy in Melbourne called Steve Griffith. Um, so it's it's a form of transcendental meditation. It's called Vedic meditation. And he said to me, he goes, "You'll this will be a secret weapon that you'll have for the rest of your life. And I'll just never forget him saying that because it's true wherever I am, whether I'm on a plane, in an Uber, in my office, just close your eyes and, and you're there. Yeah, right. I think I'm going to have to uh, peel, uh, pinch your ear on that one. Yeah. Is Rachel meditate as well? She does, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Excellent. So, Jada, before we finish up, I... I I mean, you've shared with us a lot of insightful stuff and you've been very honest and open and authentic with who you are. And, and I'm, I'm grateful as to the sharing that you've done. For some of the people that are listening today, could you give us your top five, top four, top three, whatever it is, most important traits you believe that you've got in your kit bag or had to bring into your kit bag to get you? Because I'm sure you didn't start with them when you were 17 years old. Mm. What are the five or six things that are most important to you that enables you to, let's call it, be successful? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I, um, we're obviously learning all the time mm. and we're, we're making mistakes all the time. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I, we went through a stage a few years ago where we had a bunch of just culture issues, some sort of HR issues, just sort of wrong people in the wrong roles kind of stuff and causing friction. And I just, I just called it one day and just said, we've got a leadership problem. And leadership starts with one person. It starts with the CEO. And so that was like, and people were like, nah, 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 you know, because everyone's trying to be nice to the boss. Mm. I'm like, no, 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 we have a leadership problem. Mm. And yeah, that includes you, but it's more me because mm. it's all it's all starts at the top. So we started leadership training, you know, and we've got this incredible leadership coach who we work with a guy called Hamish Riddell. And uh, we we do we've done a lot of work on it. And we've got a we've got a plan that's gonna hopefully last forever, kind of thing. Like it's not just like a 12-month program it's like let's let's keep building let's keep building leaders there's a guy um i'm, a, I'm obsessed with jim collins yeah good to great yeah, yeah i actually yeah. went and saw him in 
Colorado last September. Oh, cool. Like, honestly, like I've said this before, but like I met Taylor Swift. Yeah. But meeting Jim Collins was <laughs> like, like I got a photo with him. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How but, old is he? Uh, he's 61. He's yeah. 61 and young. That's what yeah. he said to me. Yeah, he, right. goes, he goes, Jaden. He goes, what, 15 years, where are you going to be? I said, oh, I'm 35. It's a bit hard to know. I'm getting a bit old. And, and, he, go, and he goes, Jaden, I'm 61 and young. You're a baby. 15 mm. years. Give me the plan. And, mm. uh, and that really stuck with me. And about to sign off on my five-year plan, and I'll, I'll get on to the 15-year one after that. Mm. But leadership, uh, he talks about Giorgio Polo, who was like the Brazilian like beer magnate. Right. And, and Jim talks about the Giorgio Polo syndrome. So I think... He bought, I think he bought Budweiser when he was like in his 80s. And I think the Budweiser people were like, you know, you, you, so why are you buying this mm. business? And, he's, and he's, his response was, I have so many good people that work for me. I need to give them stuff to do. Oh, that's an awesome so way of looking at the world. The Giorgio Polo syndrome or, you know, yeah. or, uh, situation. So for me, like leadership, because it sort of then goes on to the next point, which is why do we do what we do, right? It's not for money because if it was for money, we would have either given up a long time ago or we would have gone into a different industry. Mm, mm. For me, it's building careers. That's, that's my driver, careers, because for me, that works across kind of like everything that I do because it's whether it's working with a client like James, mm. whether it's working with a business partner, whether it's working with a staff member, you know, a founder or a business that we're mm. investing in or on myself. Mm. So if everything's centered around career development, we can all continue to move forward. Yeah, interesting. I, I, the amount of correlations that exist between Unified and the practice, it's ironic. And we've just started a leadership program awesome. within our organisation. One of our clients uh, who's been a guest on this podcast, Cameron Schwab, is an, is an ex- Yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, that was great. He's, so he's working with us on, on leadership. And it's funny, we were having conversations about the culture in our organisation and, and we had a fair idea it had to do with leadership. And, and then when we spoke with Cam... It, you know, the light bulbs went off that maybe the buck stops with us and we, we start a leadership program. And, and one of the things that he is helping us with is what brand do we want to represent? So what's your individual brand as, it, you know, like a brand within a brand? So what does the company or the organisation stand for? And we've done a lot of work on our purpose, you know, and we're big on our mission statement, which is to help our clients achieve their business and personal goals through proactive service and ongoing advice. And, and you know, that we... Nine times out of ten, we do that pretty well. And yeah. We're big on our why about liberating people's lifestyles and we're big on what we stand for. But Cam was saying, what is your personal brand? And, and when I hear you talk about building careers, it really does, it, it's in sync with how you, you know, I was giving you a hard time before about your meeting boy, but you're not really meeting boy. You want to spend time with people to help them be the very best that they can be. Yeah. You wake up in the morning, you spend 90 minutes on yourself to make sure that you can be the very best that you can be. You obviously work really hard uh, on your relationship with Rachel and you're having, you know, eating together every night for nine months and you're delighted with that. You co- with your, your collaborative partners, whether they're uh, run to the hills boys, um, the hills are alive, I'm sorry, uh, I'm just teasing the McLaren brothers, but with the work you do with those guys, the printing business, all that sort of stuff, it's all about careers and it does, it sort of sits in sync, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I put it, I, I worked on that analogy because what then it does is because people go well how do you do all these things you do i'm like well it's easy i just turn up i just turn up and build careers yeah this is awesome so it's just one thing and obviously the audience changes whether it's like a 
19-year-old metal band through to, yeah, a certain client or mm. whether it's you and I doing some work together mm. or, or something like that. But, yeah, it's it's simple. I don't have to change who I am. Yeah. Okay, so the top three, I just want to, just so we cover these off, it's it's leadership, it's around building careers, and at the end of the day, Jace, it's you just got to turn up. Before we go, it would be remiss of me not to ask you this question. <laughs> I just like saying that just to make you a bit nervous. You've done a lot of amazing things, Jadon. What about some of the lessons that you've learned from things that didn't go as successful? Yeah. Can you draw on any of that that you might want to share with us? Yeah, of course. Mm. I think, yeah, because I've, I've been doing this so long and had success quite young, I've, I, like, I can say it like I've been patted on the back a lot. Mm. So it's easy when you're patting, getting patted on the back to think that everything you do is great. And it's also a lot of people out there think that everything we do is great but the reality is we've made heaps of mistakes i think the problem with the concept of like the letting fires burn thing Mm. the there's a positive in there but the negative is when you start to turn a blind eye when someone comes to you and goes hey jason or hey jaden i think we've got a problem over here and when the second you say i'm too busy Mm. or i don't want to hear negativity or i don't want you know bring me a solution Anytime I've ever done that kind of behavior, that kind of like shark tank kind of like bravado bullshit yeah. that we think is the way it's meant to be, that's when six months later, someone's quit. We've lost mm. a million bucks. Mm. There's, you know, there's a unfair dismissal claim. There's mm. a, you know, like, so for me, it's just like actually listening and actually paying attention and not, um, well, this is to quote Jim Collins, always confront the brutal facts. Yeah. So me, Luke and Matt, Every two months, this is a bit of a secret, but we have a brutal fact session. We get together at the beginning of the year. We went to Belgrade for the night. We just booked an Airbnb and just sat in, in a house and like threw shit at each other. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Um, That's confronting. It can be dangerous. Yeah, it's awesome though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you say threw shit at each other, you weren't throwing furniture around the room. It was no. more just like. Uh, it's like, Jason, that way you looked at me, that really pissed me off. Yeah. No, but it's, it's, no, it's more like, hey, like, Jaden, can you explain to me? Like, I love that you're really excited about this new venture that we're doing in mm. X market. Mm. But can you just explain to me what's all about? Why the fuck are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Yeah, yeah. And, and if by the end you haven't explained yourself properly, well, then we need to do something about yeah. it. Uh, we did the last one on Zoom. We're doing one in a couple of weeks at the Napier Hotel, which is across the road from my house. Yeah. So that's a big thing for me because we implemented that because I think for a lot of years we weren't confronting the brutal facts. Mm. I went through a stage of... You know, particularly when I was living in New York, the time zone was grueling. You know, it was yeah. seven o'clock at night and all of a sudden it was nine o'clock here. And you like, and you did your best, but you know, you're in New York City. You're also wanting to like enjoy all the restaurants mm. and, and the concerts and Broadway and all these sorts mm. of things. So all of a sudden you're canceling some of your calls and you're, you're being short with someone because you're trying to take a call while mm. you're at dinner or something. So that idea of always confronting the brutal facts, I think if you can start there, then you can go a long way to sort of catching things before things go wrong. And I, I think, Jaden, as we as we wrap up, mate, I, I think just listening to you talk then, I, I think one of your biggest strengths, I spoke earlier from the top about your humility. I, I think the other thing that is quite attractive about you, uh, platonically, don't get too excited, now, it is, is your authenticity. So when I, when I asked you that question and I was listening to the way you responded and you said, when I turn a blind eye to when you spoke about letting the bushfire burn. But when I turn a blind eye to a team member bringing something to my attention, 
When you do that, that's not congruent with who you are because you're a people person, right? And you, you do want to show up and you do want to give them your time. And when you're not being true to yourself or not being authentic, it sounds to me that that's when things have turned to shit. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I hadn't thought about it like that, but I think you're spot on. Well, you've given me 45 minutes of content. I had to give you something, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Janine Comerford, you are a rock star or man behind the rock star. Unified Music Group, you and your wife, Rachel, I'd, I'd like to thank her for allowing you to come along today. Not that she gets to tell you what to do or not, but I am a little tiny bit frightened of Rachel. No, I'm not really. I, I'm really, I'm really, I'm honoured that you took the time out of your busy schedule to come and spend some time with me today and, and, and more importantly to the people that are going to listen to this podcast. Thanks very much, mate, and um, yeah. keep punching, big fella. It's my pleasure, honestly. And yeah, like whether you want to keep this or not, but the practice of being so good to us. We, we have our quarterly meetings with Brad, mm. um, that, our consistency. I have my annual meeting with Matthew Morrison. Mm. Like, yeah, what you guys do, you really do live up to your mission statement. So it was my pleasure to turn up today and, and be a part of this. Thanks, Jaden. Appreciate it, mate.